0: Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen has been uh, full-time on staff for six weeks now? Six weeks? Four weeks? Yeah. Um, and he has brought a, just a kindness of soul and a generosity to uh, the staff of Mosaic, so I wanted to, to commend him for that. And uh, if you see him, uh, just thank him for getting up here every Sunday. It's a very vulnerable thing to, to get up here and to play music, and and just to put yourself out there. So thank you, Stephen. I bragged to my friends all week that I felt, uh, I didn't feel nervous at all about preaching this Sunday. And, you know, I told them, uh, I've done this a, a bunch of times. I'm good. I got this. And then last night, we had some friends over for dinner, and they left, and my wife was like, why are you acting like a crazy person? You seem so nervous right now. So... I was humbled uh, last night right before coming here this morning to to preach this sermon. My name is Kyle Porter. I'm an elder here at Mosaic Church, and we are going to continue our sermon series uh, going through the Psalms uh, this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 17, which is an appeal from a helpless David to an almighty God. It's an appeal from a helpless David to an almighty God. If you have young kids or if you've been around young kids, and if you're at Mosaic, you have been around young kids by default, uh, you know how pervasive the idea of helplessness can be among kids, right? A- as adults, we're not, we're not usually as, we, we don't at least feel as physically helpless maybe as uh, we did when we were kids or as kids do at times. And, and the two scenarios that I thought of of when my kids were the most helpless was one, if I ever... If I ever tell them on a, let's say, a f- Friday morning that that night we're going to watch a movie together as a family, and I promise them that, and then later in the day, maybe something happens, we're out late, uh, we're whatever, we're at the pool too long, and then I tell them, hey, I know I told you this, but actually it's too late to do that, the desperation that they have on their faces and the helplessness in that moment is it's palpable, right? And then the other one that I thought about was, if you've ever uh, taken a kid or or, or been with like a a niece or a nephew or somebody at a playground, what's the thing that kids want to do at a playground? They want to go on the monkey bars, right? That's the thing that they always run to. And when they're too young to actually be able to do the monkey bars, they want you to hold them, and then they say, hey, let go of me, right? They say, let go. And you walk away, and what five seconds ago felt like a good idea, now seems like an act of terror against a four-year-old that's hanging on for dear life. And this is what we see in Psalm 17 from David. We see the same kind of helplessness. David is saying in this psalm, help. Just like your kid on the monkey bars, as soon as you walk away, help me, help, help. David has some serious life-altering problems going on in this psalm. And while we are not uh, physically hunted or attacked in the same way David is in Psalm 17, we still, we still know and feel the helplessness that David portrays. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 17. It says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity, with their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This is the word of the Lord. Look at, let's start with the first verse. Look at the first verse again. It says, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give, uh, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. What's another way to say all of that, right? That whole, that whole sentence can be boiled down into one word, help, help me. David's asking for help here. So if we've established that the problem here is that David needs help, that begs the question, what is, what is the solution? What is David trying to get to? What is the end game here? Not just for uh, David, but for us as believers in Jesus as well. If you haven't noticed this yet, you will at some point, And that's that as Christians, your problems never go away, right? They are ever present. That's the result of a number of different things, but primarily it's the result of sin in the world, of a fallen world, right? That means that our problems will be ever present. So if the end game can't be, well, I'll just solve all the problems, right? Because we've established that they're never going to all go away, then I I think what the end game is, what we're trying to get to, the solution, so to speak, is to endure, right? Is to endure the problems that we face, to endure, for David to endure the problems that he's facing. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's kind of the overarching thesis for today. We faithfully endure through God's steadfastness. We faithfully endure through God's steadfastness. And the first tenet that we have to uh, establish that we've kind of been talking about is that we have problems. Again, they're not the same category of problems that David faced, But they require the same approach, and I probably don't have to work that hard to convince you that, you know, based on the last year, that we have a lot of problems. Emotional, relational, mental things that have shown themselves in ways that we might not have expected over the last 18 months, right? As I get older, I'm I'm consistently surprised, and some of you will probably laugh at me for this, but I'm consistently surprised at how difficult life is, right? I, I think in the back of my mind, I thought... Well, as I get older, as I mature, as I get wiser, as I learn things, things will just get easier or something. I, I, that, that was kind of the way that I would think about things, and that's not, that's not true. Like That is not how life goes. I was in California uh, last week, and I, was, I say I was hiking up a mountain. I was actually probably walking up a hill, but I like to say I was hiking up a mountain, and I was watching this guy surf kind of on the, this little cove, where I was, and I was kind of, I was kind of into, like, what, I was kind of rooting for him, I was kind of into it, and he, um, he would get up on, he would, he would get up on a wave, and he would surf into the shore, and I'd be, you know, fist pumping, I don't know, I I don't know why, I was crazy, again, um, but then he would try to get up again, and he would get on the wrong side of it and be sent back out to sea. And I'd be like, oh, gosh, you know, what, what is he doing? And I was way into it. But the thing that struck me as I was watching this, he would always, even if he wasn't able to surf the wave into shore, he would always be able to go find another wave. There was always another wave. And it reminded me, as I was, as I was reading through this and thinking about it, there's always another problem, right, for us as believers. There's always another problem. And the lie is that if we just solve all our problems, everything will be, will be good. I, I believe that myself at times. There's always another problem. As soon as the pandemic starts to wind down, we have to make choices for our kids for school. As soon as our kids get older, we have to help out with uh, our parents who are getting uh, sick or older. As soon as blank happens, then blank, right? That's our experience with life. I heard something said one time that I think applies so well to this idea and to this psalm. The quote was, I only, I only pray when I am in trouble, but I am in trouble all the time, so I pray all the time, right? That's what we're seeing here from David. The way that David breaks up this psalm is, is important. He makes three appeals in this psalm for God to help him to endure. The first appeal that he makes in the first five verses it is based on his own faithfulness to God. It's based on his own faithfulness to God. The second appeal is then based on God's faithfulness to him. And finally, the third appeal is based on David's longing for God at the end of his life, based on his longing for God at the end of his life. Like I said, the first five uh, verses are an appeal based on David's commitment uh, before the Lord. Look at, look at what he says here. He establishes before God that he is not walking in sin, that he is innocent. He says, um, my lips are free from deceit. He says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. David is saying that his own desires match up with the Lord's desires. He's saying, I want the same things that you want. Please deliver me here. Help me to endure in my moment of need. We see this in John fifteen seven, right? John fifteen seven says, and you've probably heard this verse: "If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you." It was a great note, and I'll just I'll read it here. It was in my uh, kind of the study portion of my ESV Bible. It says, "Those who abide in Jesus will want what Jesus wants." Those in whom the words of Jesus abide will pray for what Jesus has declared he will accomplish. Jesus can therefore guarantee to them that their prayers will be answered. Tim Keller wrote a a really great book on prayer. I think I underlined pretty much every sentence in it. And he says in it, to find that we are unable to say to God, if we are unable to say to God, hey, God, if your will is something different than what I'm currently praying, then, then do that. If we're unable to say that to God, then it's a signal that we have disordered loves, right? Our loves are split. That we have a rival for God himself in our inmost being. But, this, but David has done this already, right? By letting God search his heart and saying, I am innocent before you. He has lined up his desires with God's desires, and based on that, he makes an appeal to the Lord to help him endure, because he's saying, I want the same things that you want, God. The implication in these verses is that prolonged seasons of sin take us down roads that we don't want to go, and who knows this better than David, right? Walking in sin keeps us from praying the way that we should pray, because our loyalties are Divided when we're walking in prolonged seasons of sin. Confessing, repenting, and pursuing pursuing holiness are how we reorder those desires and those loyalties. They're the means by which we abide in the Lord. Confessing, repenting, and pursuing holiness are the means by which we abide in the Lord. And David lines up his desires, as we've seen here, with the Lord's. uh, The question that that begs for us is, are we doing the same? Are we letting the Lord search our hearts? Are we letting the Lord test our intentions? I have felt that this year. I have confessed things to uh, the guys in my life, to my wife, to Kyle, to our elders, to uh, a counselor, to, to so many different people that I would rather pretend like they don't exist, right? I would rather pretend like they don't exist. But without confessing those things, without laying them out in front of me and before the Lord, I'm, I'm terrified of where I would be fr- five years from now, right? Without confessing and reminding myself of who I am in Christ, my loyalties remain divided between what I want and what the Lord wants. We faithfully endure through God's steadfastness. So the second appeal that David makes to God is, uh, so the first one is, is David's commitment to God. The second one is God's commitment to David. And some of the language in here, if you took our uh, men's or women's Bible study in the fall when we did Ruth, you'll recognize some of the language uh, in verse 7. So David says, wondrously show your steadfast love. And the word there, steadfast love, is hesed. It's hesed, and it means covenantal love. It was used in the book of Ruth to describe uh, Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, to Naomi, and also uh, Boaz's commitment to Ruth. So it was this covenantal love, this idea of, I am with you no matter what. And David is using it here to describe God's love for for his people, for the Israelites, of whom David is one. David says, Help me, And then he pleads for God to remember his promises, to demonstrate faithfulness to his covenantal relationship. Verse 6 says this, I call upon you, for you will answer me. This is what God has said he would do, that he would answer David. And verse 7, like we looked at, show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge. And then the title of this entire psalm, in my Bible it says, at the very top it says, in the shadow of your wings. That title is pulled from verse 8 where David's talking about being kept as the apple of God's eye and protected in the shadow of his wings. And this is, this is beautiful writing. Like, this is really poetic writing that uh, conjures up great imagery, right? When we see apple of your eye and, and, and kept in the shadow of your wings. That's, that's great writing. But it's also, it's also a reference to Deuteronomy 32. And in Deuteronomy 32, Moses had written a song containing some of this same language, Praising God for drawing the Israelites uh, out of Egypt, right, for the exodus. And we see that same language that David is using in Deuteronomy 32. And that's important because David is appealing to God based on God's love throughout generations. God's steadfast love all the way back to the time of Moses and then into the time of David. One commentary on, on this psalm that I read said, The powerful refuge of the divine presence makes life possible even in the midst of chaotic conflict. The powerful refuge of the divine presence makes life possible even in the midst of chaotic conflict. Who would have known that better than Moses with the Exodus, right? And now David, who's being, who's being, his life is being hunted by these, by these people around him. Much could be said about God's steadfastness throughout generations. That is truly the story of the entire Bible. And much could be said about it uh, in our own lives. Right? I think if you're like me and you desire to endure, sometimes I run to the first one. I try to line up my desires with the Lord's. I work hard on my own heart. And I forget forget that God is steadfast no matter what no matter what, right? In in Job 40, Job says, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Behold, I am of small account. We were at, uh, we were at an elder retreat in March at uh, Cedar Creek Lake, and if you know anything about any of us or our Enneagram numbers, you know that from the second we walked through the door, we were strategizing and planning. John was, was working on our hearts, but the rest of us were strategizing and planning and, and working toward the future. Uh, Kyle was like in a sermon series in like 2028 or something. It was, it was out of control. But if you ask any of those guys, the most meaningful time that we spent together was an hour on Friday night of uh, singing and remembering the Lord. We just sang together and remembered who the Lord was. We, we faithfully endure through God's steadfastness. The closing stretch of these uh, verses starts in verse 10. So the, uh, the first appeal that, that David makes uh, to God is, is based on David's commitment to the Lord. The second appeal uh, is based on God's commitment to him. And then the third is the third appeal that David makes is that his eyes are on what comes at the end of it all. Help me, O Lord, because I long for you alone, is what he's saying here. David begins to talk about uh, some of his enemies, and in verse 14, he says something interesting. He says, deliver my soul from men of the world whose portion is in this life. Deliver my soul from men of this world whose portion is in this life. David is reminding us that finding your satisfaction and identity in this life Is too small of a thing in terms of what God wants. It's not an ultimate thing. It's too small of a thing. That's what we see in verse 14. And then to to look at that verse next to verse 15, verse 15 is the best part, or my favorite part of the entire passage. He says, He says, As for me, and this is us, right? This is believers in Jesus. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. David's satisfaction is in the Lord. When I awake, is the last uh, sentence in the entire psalm. When I awake, and he's talking, about, he's talking about after death now. He's talking about eternity. He's saying, when I awake into eternity, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. What a, what a, what a magnificent thing to aim for, right? What a target to have. We too often settle for satisfaction of even the best things that the world has to offer, and to rarely set our sights on the bigger picture of eternity like David is doing here. David, David is desperate to endure the problems in front of him, to get to that ending, right? He's keeping his eyes on what that ending looks like, of waking up into eternity and saying, I, will be satis- I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And he understands that the only way to do so is to faithfully endure by relying on God's steadfastness. Uh, my friends get really tired of me talking about endurance. I talk about it all the time, and I'm sure they're sick of it. Um, we, had, we have uh, a group that meets for coffee on Friday mornings because we're 80, and uh, we talked about it for like an hour and a half, two days ago on Friday. We just talked about endurance, 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 but hear me, it, it, it's, so, it's, so, it's one of the most important things about the Christian life, right, is enduring from salvation until the end. And we see that throughout the Bible. What does it mean to endure? Sometimes we use these words and we throw them around and they, don't, they kind of lose their meaning The definition of endurance is the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way, without giving way. Hebrews 10.36 says this, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's that's so similar to the end of Psalm 17, right? Where, Where David says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I don't know how many of you have run a, a, a marathon or a half marathon or a 10K or anything. But if you've done that, you know that when you're 80% done, the next 20% feels harder than the first 80. Right? You get you get through uh, eight kilometers and the last two feel like I I don't I don't think I, that's gonna be harder than the first eight. Right? And this is this is our lives. It's not, it's not going to get easier. The narrow path is, is harder. Over the last month, I've gotten, I have felt, I've seen, I've heard that there, is, uh, that there is apathy among us. That there is stagnation among us. And primarily, the place that I've felt and seen it is in myself and in uh, my home, with our family. I, I've, I've felt it. I see um, paths right now that I could take to, to be apathetic about following Jesus when I'm 55 or 65 or 70. I see those paths more clearly now than I have before, and that, that scares me. That's a scary thing because to take those paths is to not endure, right, is to not endure. I was talking to to Jeff Shelfo, one of our other elders, who preached a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about how we preach not that often, and so whenever we do, it feels like we're preaching to ourselves. It's the things that are, like, building up in our own hearts. And that's been a good thing for me, but it's also a humbling thing to to see um, what's going on in my own heart. But I've also had a lot of conversations with people that are either in our community or at Mosaic that are feeling some of these same things: this apathy, this uh, stagnation, and I hate that. I don't know if it's related to COVID. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's it's there, and I, I I feel it kind of percolating. And maybe you maybe you've felt that too. Maybe you've experienced that as well. And I think there are two reasons that we are uh, stagnant or or apathetic toward the Lord, toward our pursuit of the Lord. One. We're ashamed of knowing that we're going to fail in our pursuit of the Lord, in our pursuit of holiness, even if we try hard, right? We're ashamed that we're going to fail. And two, we believe that the tactics that we have for pursuing the Lord simply don't work. We believe that the tactics that we have for the pursuit of the Lord simply don't work. So the bad news is that we are going to fail, right? I think we all know that. Of course, we're going to fail. And I'm talking to myself here because my tendency when I fail in um, family discipleship for an extended period of time or I fail in uh, praying with my wife for an extended period of time is to just shut down and not do it anymore and go do something that I'm actually good at and that I know that I can achieve, right? But that's not the answer, and we all know that. Think about David's appeals here. His first appeal is based on uh, his own proper ordering of his his loves, of his loyalties. And that's going to go poorly, right? That's what we're talking about. It went poorly for David at times in his life. David did not live a perfect life. Think about how many times in his life he would not have been able to say the words, you have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me, and you will find nothing. There's so many times in his life that he would not have been able to say that But that's why the second appeal exists, right? Because God is steadfast. Because we're going to strive and fail, but God is steadfast. He cannot fail, which means that we are free to strive and to fail because it's going to happen. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to stop trying. Right, it's okay to fail. It's not okay to stop trying. The second part of why I think there's some stagnation or Uh, apathy—the part about how we don't believe the tactics that we have uh, are going to work—that's also true. Unfortunately, they're not going to work without the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, The, the, the blueprint for endurance in the Christian life is right here. This is the blueprint. If you want to endure, this is it. But you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you, right? All the trying and striving in the world is not going to work without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the great news about that is that if you are in Christ Jesus, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So, so, so go to the Lord and beg for His Spirit to, uh, to infect you with the desire to pursue Him. I, would, I, I hope you guys hear this. As, as as the elders of Mosaic, we are desperate for our people to endure. We're desperate for our, to endure ourselves. I don't care if you don't like our logo. I don't care if you don't like our men's Bible teaching. You probably don't whenever I'm teaching. I don't care, I don't care if Mosaic exists in 100 years. I don't. I do care about your endurance. And I care about my own endurance. Luke 21, 19 says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. We faithfully endure through God's steadfastness. The road ahead does not get easier, right? It didn't get easier for David. It doesn't get easier for us. As we accumulate barnacles in our life, the way a boat accumulates barnacles on its hull, life gets harder. It gets more difficult. More things build up. But how many times in your life have you endured something difficult that you knew was good for you, whether that's a, a, like a workout or a test, maybe you're finishing your sermon on a plane on Monday morning, the week you're supposed to preach it. How many times have you endured something like that and gotten to the end and said, ah, I kind of wish I would have quit halfway through? No, nobody's, I don't think any human has ever said that, right? Nobody's ever said, I wish I would have quit halfway through. Nobody has ever said that. Endurance is the way forward, and it's through God's steadfastness that we endure. And of course, we can't do it on our own. We must encourage one another. Right? We must encourage one another, and we must share with one another. If you have things that you need to share with uh, your, your pastors or uh, people that you trust or whoever, Share them so that you can be encouraged and, and, and shepherded and helped along the way. Let's pray. God, thank you for, thank you for today. Like Stephen uh, was singing earlier, thank you for this day that you have made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. And forgive us for making things in our lives that are not ultimate um, more important than you. We confess that we have done that. I confess that I have done that this week. And I just, I just beg for endurance. I beg for endurance through your steadfastness. I beg that my desires and my loves would be ordered the same way that yours are, that they would be one and the same. And I confess that I'm going to fall short of that. And because of that, I thank you for The work that Jesus did on the cross that I don't have to be perfect, that I don't have to be perfect, but I can strive with all my heart for these things that I can look forward to seeing your likeness. Thank you for Jesus' gift to us, and thank you for this time of worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.